Thanks for tuning in to the Running Related Podcast. We bring you conversations with creatives about their respective mediums and their relationship to recreational running. This podcast is sponsored by Attempt Running, an American-made Brooklyn-based running program. Yo! What's up? Hey, what's happening, Matt? Can you hear us? Yeah, I hear and see you guys loud and clear. I was in I was in the green room. It felt uh, pretty official. Man, that was very professional. I can't remember the last time I was in the green room. Did our assistant get you the, the coffee and, and M&Ms without the blue ones there for you? Oh, well, yeah. I got the espresso and then I got some Stan's Donuts. Thank you so much, man. You guys are great. you're welcome yeah we try to keep it really professional over here we're already off to a great stop what's up t dude nothing much hey back this is stefan stefan matt how you doing what's up stefan nice to meet you brother you as well looks like a convening of long hairs over here yeah long hair don't care yeah 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 man how you been good man can't complain moving and grooving how you guys been on, on your side that's amazing been good. Uh, Stefan's over in Edmonton, Canada. Uh, we've got like a little bit of an international meeting of the minds right here. Okay, Edmonton, Canada's in the house. Yeah, that's right. Have you heard of it? <laughs> no, I haven't. Is that west? Is that west? West Canada? Yeah, it's uh, it's an eight-hour drive north of the Montana border. Okay, all right. So I think I have, like in passing. Where is it in relation to Vancouver? So Vancouver is on the coast of British Columbia. It's near Seattle, I guess, if you will. Okay. So it's an hour and a half flight, maybe, but it's like a 16-hour drive because you got to cut through the mountains. Mm. Not too far. Serious? Okay. I think that Chicago weather is pretty comparable. I'm getting, I'm getting used to it. Yeah. There's a, there's a nice little bite to it when you hit the river. <laughs> Just to remind you, you're still alive. <laughs> Mac, I'm going to read a little bio I found. Sure. Do your thing, man. Mac is a first-generation Haitian American and native New Yorker. He holds a master's degree in mental health counseling and clinical psychology from Columbia's uh, Teachers College. Yeah, that works. Yeah, cool. Uh, Mac Exilis is a therapist and has... uh, Well, one, he's a wonderful human being, a friend of mine, and so psyched to have you on. Uh, the running related podcast. It's great. Yeah. What 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 prompted the move to Chicago? It's a is it just a change of scenery? You've been in New York for forever, right? I know all my life. Um, you know, sim- simple answer: love. Love is a powerful Sweet. force in the universe. Awesome. Yeah. So my partner, she's actually from Chicago originally. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And you know, due to COVID, I'm able to work remotely. So I could technically live anywhere. Even Edmonton. Yeah. So are you practicing for, um, with your the the group that you were working with before? Yeah, I'm still with the group practice. Yeah, and it, everything is all remote. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, everything is all remote now. Mm-hmm. So this is like the, the little office that I have, <laughs> my little setup. How do you find the way you conduct your sessions and, and that over... Because it's different. It's a different experience. I mean... Oh, 100%. Yeah. Way different. <clears throat> you know, like, what what adjustments are you finding? You know, what are the... any? Is there any pros? You know, what are you what are you doing to make things 
more comfortable, I suppose, and easier. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of them. I think one pro is, you know, flexibility, timing, yeah. right? So people who have, I have a lot of my clients who are like fathers or mothers and, you know, finding time for childcare. So that's easy, to, you know, to be a little bit more flexible instead of like driving into the city for a session and trying to find someone who's like, well, I could have my partner take care of my kid for like one, you know, 45 minute block while I just do my session or if something comes up, you're easy. It's easy to sort of readjust yeah. and get another slot instead of saying, oh, I can't drive into the city on a Thursday, but I could wake up and roll out of bed. Like the other day, I double booked myself on accident and, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I said, hey, are you available Friday morning? He's like, yeah, I am. So, you know, that that's that's pretty cool so i think that's one pro um and then some folks are more comfortable at home uh, yeah right so most emotionally speaking it could be a little awkward being in someone's office true you know and then having to like walk out the office and go back home or you know yeah. go back to the office so you're at home where i hope you feel safe enough to you know share and, and emote yeah and just be in your space so what you know that's kind of that's one of the pros that I've noticed uh, so far, as far as like the client's experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You not only are you a, a therapist, but you're also an an avid runner. Yes, sir. Which is how we. This is how we met. That's how we met. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, you've been you you've also a good looking man, and so you've been <laughs> the model for a New Balance and Hoka. You're uh, you're just you're quite the. Uh, quite the amazing individual. I appreciate it. Just trying to stay busy. This is why we need a video component to the to the podcast, just for when we have good-looking people I know. <laughs> on there. Not because there's no reason for Taylor and I I to do it. The video just for the good-looking guests. <laughs> you guys are a trip. I know. We're just gonna have your face, and that'll be the that'll your your video, and then ours is gone. We'll do deep fakes, so every screen of us is just going to be more of you talking to yourself (laughs) (laughs) classic that's what you guys are silly but one question we kind of start with a lot of times is is whether or not uh you run with with headphones or not Mm. and and if you are running with headphones what are you listening to if you're not why not sure sure so this is a two-part question i guess and then also like how is running uh therapeutic for you or is it or is it not is like oh it's absolutely (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and i think even um you know early pandemic when you had to shift to this sort of work from home life definitely super grateful that i I, you know i didn't lose my job i was still able to be employed and working on the virtual platform was a major adjustment you know I, i was hating on it big time i was like i'm a face to face person it was a it was a tough adjustment those first couple of months and, um, you know, just sitting at home, staring at your screen, you know, not being able to travel, not catching that inspiration on the train or reading or all of those things. So running was a major piece. Like, I think my running increased during the pandemic because I just had to get out, right? you know, and move around. So super therapeutic for me, again, because you're staring at the screen, you're talking to folks all day. It's really good to just kind of get out. And just, you know, be a tourist in, in the city as well, right? Just kind of, like, re you know, reimagine New York or now, you know, Chicago for something different. Yeah. And uh, to answer the first question about music, actually, it's funny because I, I typically don't like to listen to music when I run. But I, I started reconnecting with it recently. Okay. 
Yeah, because I, I, I first, it's interesting, back in the day before we had all the Garmin watches, they used to have these little, remember those little pods that you would put? The Nano? The, the Nano, and it had like a little foot, it was a foot pod that connected to the Nano. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. And that tracked, and that would track, remember that? And it would track your... Yeah, absolutely. So I had that, and I would listen to music and track my pace, and then cause I, didn't, I couldn't afford a Garmin watch at that time yet. But, um, and it was funny because I was training with music my first half marathon. I read the sort of fine print and it was like, listen, you cannot, you know, show up to the um, start line with headphones on. Oh, I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, I was like, okay, cool. And I, and I got, started looking a little more. Apparently, like, it gives you, like, a little bit more of an advantage, like, because it kind of boosts you up a bit. Um, and then when I, so I said, let me try to train without music. So I had already sort of clocked in like where my five mile marker was or my eight mile. So I started training without the music. It was tough at first. And then I get to the, you know, start line. Everybody has headphones. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what's going on, man? Like, uh, so I, I sort of trained my body to run without, and I, and I loved it actually. It felt more pure. Like I was like really, like really listening to my body. Right. Right. But yeah, just recently I started getting back into listening to some tunes from time to time yeah you know and then on those slower runs like a podcast or something like a, a little a bit of an npr piece or something i know you're a jazz head because i see your instagram yes sir yeah is that what you're generally listening to when you're running actually not really i, I wanted this i can't remember the name of this band um it'll come to me later i gotta check my itunes but um smash mouth <laughs> no nah, it's not it's uh no? okay they're like a like a New Orleans kind of funk band. Ooh. Like so, if I if I were to listen to jazz, it'd be something a little bit more upbeat, like a little bit more of that funk sure. type of joint. Because I I think eh, it depends. Bitches Brew is kind of good, to, like to ride. I'd listen to jazz like riding, right? Like cycling is a bit easier, smoother. But there's something about I don't know if I could run listening to jazz. Like it'd be it'd, I'd be too loopy and just not on pace and you know it, it'd be weird <laughs> improvising too much like yeah it'd be, it'd be it'd be like a little too much stop and go <laughs> <laughs> man well and from a uh therapeutic standpoint like when you is that what kind of prompted your introduction to to running or yeah. did you or did you run when you were younger like uh, in high school and stuff like what was your intro to running like how did you get him get involved my intro to running actually i didn't i didn't really like running to be honest and it's, in, it's interesting so back in high school they would send these things called cut cards um so you had like a homeroom mm -hmm. and i was a theater guy back then i was doing theater and film so i wasn't really focused on the sports but i played like a little street ball yeah i thought to myself i'll join the track team because i'm like i'm skinny enough i could just run right yeah let's just do that because i couldn't afford any like uh, football equipment or basketball gifts. So I was like, yo, listen, running is like, for me, the cheapest thing that I could potentially do and my parents would allow it. Yeah. Uh, so I did three track practices and uh, we were getting ready for like a 5K or something like that. And my mom got this uh, cut card at home that said, hey, he hasn't been showing up to the homeroom. He must be cutting. Uh. So she like believed that. She's like, oh, that little program that you go to after school, that's a wrap. <laughs> so she, so that was like the stint of my cross country or track career oh. um, in high school. It was very, very short. Um, and that was it. So I never really engaged in it at all. And I just was sort of focusing on arts. And then I reconnected through running with the arts because I was doing Shakespeare. 
And a lot of that is like breath work. Yeah. Ah. So I would run my lines while I would run. And that was like a good way to kind of stay on rhythm, stay on breath. And whenever I would train for certain roles back then, that's what I would do. So I would just go out for like little short runs. Never really liked it, but just used it for that purpose only. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And then, uh, yeah, and I was in Troy. I was actually in Troy, New York, and when I really committed myself to record, I'd run to the gym and back because I couldn't bring my bike. I had this big old mountain bike that I couldn't bring. It was at an RPI. I don't know if you know that spot. It's upstate in Albany. No. Oh, it's actually Troy, New York. So I was running to the gym, working out, and then I would run back. Whoa. <laughs> and on the, on the run back, I got lost. <laughs> so I'm sitting here. I don't know nothing about upstate. I'm just running around. And it was like an ama- it was like an amazing experience. I was kind of scared too because I had you know no GPS, no. At that time, the phones weren't as sophisticated. This was like 07, right. 08. so they weren't as sophisticated enough to like figure out where I was. But literally, just getting lost in the wilderness up uh, to me, and from my standpoint, it's like because I'm a city kid, so that's like wilderness. <laughs> yeah. And then that's why I started reconnecting with running on that on that standpoint. I was like, wow, this is kind of fun, just to get out there and move around. Yeah. So yeah, 08 was like that time of just getting back into it yeah how long after that was your first marathon my first one wasn't until 2012 actually okay so you were a few years of kind of just doing it for for mental health purposes not even yeah just kind of hanging out just it was more so just to get the cardio up and just do that yeah uh, to stay consistent. And then actually, so in 2011, my mother passed. Oh. And I started noticing how helpful that was for me because I had just done my first half marathon. Oh, okay. And like, you're like, well, what the fuck do I do? How do I process this? So I, had, I hadn't even like engaged in therapy yet at that time. Wow. So part of me was like, man, I, let me figure out what's going on. And as I was doing, like running was super therapeutic for me at that time. So I just like... I put all my eggs in the basket. Yeah. yeah. While I, around that time in 2012 was the first marathon because I had like something, you know, I had a goal. Yeah. You had 20 weeks of training, had to focus, had to eat right, nutrition, all of that. And it was like a major life shift for me too. So it kind of kept me grounded mm-hmm. in my day to day. Like, what am I doing? How am I? So figuring shit out as I ran. Because you were you were acting you were pursuing an acting career, right? At that point. Yeah, at that point, yeah. So like everything was like sort of on the come up, but then so much shifted for me that I was like, Oh, I don't know what to do. So let me just continue this. And I started doing teaching artistry work. So I kind of realigned myself with acting but with a purpose. Yeah. Teaching kids mm-hmm. like social and emotional behavioral skills. So that's kind of sort of that journey or transition of like doing theater and then kind of looking at it from a therapeutic standpoint. That's cool. I assume that your mother's passing was like pretty pivotal in that transition into like therapy. Did you find yourself going to therapy at that point? Absolutely. It was at that time because I had, um, it was two years ago, a friend of mine introduced me to it. I was like, yeah, I don't need it. You know, I was going through some, but I wasn't like super, I didn't have as much insight at that time. I was like, it was 2009. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And it wasn't until two years later. I'm like, oh, I'm going through a lot of shit. I don't know how to process it. So that same card my friend gave me, I had it. Just back when we used to like hand out cards. <laughs> That's like, no. <laughs> old analog. Super analog. But yeah, that same card I had and I called um, and, I, and I engaged in my first session in, in 2011. Wow. And then that com- combined with the running was a major sort of shift in, in my life personally. Do you 
utilize some of the things you've, that you've learned in, you know, your pursuit of acting and like you said, using breath work for mm-hmm. through Shakespeare and running. Do you use any of that in your current practice? Maybe subliminally, maybe actively. Cause I think that's, that's a really interesting approach. And, you know, I think for a lot of people too, breath work, I mean, meditation is all breath work. And so when you're feeling sort anxiety and people meditate, it's really a, a calming effect and helps you get your thoughts together. So do you use any of that? Absolutely. And the reason why is when I first started doing theater, one thing that they, that I learned in conservatory is like, listen, when you're doing a scene, it's never about you. Yes. It's always about your scene partner. So I had that training for years mm. that it may, it, it kind of feels like very egotistical. Like it's all about me, but it's never about that. Like when you walk into whatever scene you're engaging in, it's like, what do you want from the other? What's your intention? What's your objective? Um, how are you persuading the person? What are the actions and the tactics? So, and that's sort of what makes a, a good scene a good scene because you're not just sort of saying you're lying, you're lying, bullshit, bullshit, right? You're engaging in the other person. So that happens now, like when I'm in sessions, not about me. It's always about my client. So it's there, you know, what's going on with them? How do I, you know, my objective is to maybe have them have more insight, um, express their emotions a bit more, think about something different. So I'm coming in with whatever objective and then classic and improv is yes and yes so you know that's another big piece it's like yes and so whatever you know i may have a let's say taylor you know taylor's my my client i'm thinking oh today he might want to talk about work stress but then he comes in he's like mac i'm dealing with a breakup i have to be ready for that right Mm. so it's like whatever he brings in i'm sort of breathing in that and i'm you know sort of grounded in what i'm doing and then going kind of with the flow, but always, you know, tracking and seeing like, okay, what's next? What are we doing with the larger goal? And then what are we doing for the 45 minute session? That's incredible. Yeah. So there's some similar stuff. And then sometimes, you know, you know, we do a lot of, I was, I was daydreaming with a client yesterday. Right. We just talked about how do you daydream? Like, you know, and that's just doing like role play. Cause sometimes we don't tap into our imagination oftentimes. Yeah. Sure. And that could create a lot of rigid thinking. So, I mean, like literally the whole session was all about how are we going to daydream to see yourself at a, in a better position, whatever the case may be. Before we could like problem solve, we got to kind of visualize. Absolutely. If that, if sort of that makes sense, right? Like we have this issue in front of us, but there's so much tension that we can't even solve the problem. So like, why not just daydream and think about it and sort of visualize where you want to go. And then once you have that, then you can sort of ground yourself in reality and say, okay, is this realistic? Is that not? But it's also fun. Yeah. So that's another part too. Like there's a lot of play. Like when I did theater, you you play a lot. So yeah, I have someone's sort of life in my hands or whatnot. And I'm trying to engaging and playfully, right? And creating something different in the moment, depending on, you know, what the person brings. I find for myself too, and, you know, when I run, I do a lot of my daydreaming while running because I don't run with headphones or anything because I find that detracts away from perhaps I'll focus on the song or focus on the podcast. But I find, you know, and I'll work through <laughs> this is like not to minimize anything, but I'll work through like like sewing problems that I'm like, I'm trying to make a garment. And I'm like, man, so I'm like running and like just like looking like this. And I probably look like a <laughs> psycho and I talk to myself. And I was like, if I just 
put this pocket like that, but you gotta sew this thing first, and then that's where the the masks are really fire now, because you could talk to yourself without nobody knowing. Yeah, that's true. It's so true. That's true. <laughs> 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 that's very true so yeah i mean i i totally i totally get that the the whole daydreaming thing it you know definitely works out a lot of kinks absolutely yeah some of the best ideas you know how to talk about some of the best ideas you get in the shower some of them might come from a, a, a nice run you might have this nice aha moment yeah that's the definitely the way that it works for me yeah we're excited to to talk to you today because you know yeah man uh, Taylor and I are, are in desperate need of, of therapy, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Shit's about to get real for our listeners. Let's do it. It's going to get deep. Let's do it. Yeah, it's going to get deep. We're probably all going to start crying. And it's all good. It's all good. If that's what you need, yeah. If that's what you need, shoot. <laughs> and then I'll just. If shoot. I need a good cry, I just stand in front of the mirror shirtless and then we're good. <laughs> and then I'll just. Uh, and I'll, I'll refer you out. <laughs> yeah. <you> <laughs> I have some connections in Canada as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Speaking of acting, an early joke in our podcast was how we wanted to get uh, Shia LaBeouf to... I don't know if you've seen any of his running outfits no i gotta check i gotta check a look at this yeah like bright blue leggings with like a beat up t-shirt from like iowa oh it's, yeah. they're, they're crazy all right i gotta take a look at this this is on his instagram or if you just google shia labeouf running it just comes yeah. up as like these crazy outfits <laughs> and so we were like joking a lot about how we wanted to have him on our podcast and then then it came out that he had been he's been like abusing his ex he was abusing his ex-girlfriend fka twigs oh wow who's an amazing musician and artist oh wow yeah the singer and you know obviously we, this is the first podcast we've actually done since all that stuff came to light which obviously we don't mm -hmm. uh approve of that kind of behavior but it mm -hmm. made me think about that film honey boy which mm -hmm. is about his upbringing mm. and about how his father was pretty crazy wild person and he plays as his dad mm -hmm. and i remember wow. I, I watched a podcast i mean it's been a long time that you did uh where you were talking about intergenerational trauma yeah yeah absolutely and just how that kind of played a part in absolutely that's a thing and i just it that kind of came to mind and it was interesting we were talking about this but mm -hmm. could you sh uh shed like light on or light on like kind of what that is and like your experience in in dealing with that sure trauma is essentially sort of passed down right mm. whether you learn it's like learned behavior yeah um and sometimes you often tend to to normalize all of these things so you know i'll just use myself as an example both my parents are from Haiti, right? So they were raised in a dictatorship, you know, in the 60s and 70s. Wow. So that's pretty, you know, hardcore, very intense, very uh, rigid. Like, I'm thinking curfews, people dying. Um, and it's normal to, uh, you know, to have corporal punishment, to beat your kids, right? That's something yeah. that people did. So an uh, interesting thing that happened to me, this is when I was in grad school. We were doing some study about fathers and how our fathers tend to parent how their parents parented. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of intrigued by that. I was like, well, I don't really know my dad. I mean, you know, we have our sort of own interesting tension. And I was like, well, let me just check in and see, you know, why am I, why do I have this disconnect with him? Right. And I hit, I hit him up and I was like, I talked to him for like 
20, 30 minutes. And like in that 20, 30 minutes, I learned so much more about him than I had in, in my whole entire life. So, you know, I checked him and I was like, what was your relationship like with your dad? And he basically told me that, you know, he spent, you know, the school year with his mom and then summers were with his father. His father had like a little farm and he basically worked in the fields. Yeah. So his, his relationship with his dad was more of like a manager. Wow. Okay type of relationship, right? So that's how his father sort of showed him love and, and it's sort of kind of employee. But I mean, that's, you know, he didn't know better. So right. that's what they did. So when my dad was sort of parenting me or fathering, being a father, he wasn't, he was there, but it was more like at a distance, right? He would sort of come in and, and do the disciplinary. My mom was more reactive. If I did something, she would just pop me. And my dad was more, he had to wait because he worked a graveyard shift. And, you know, he would, you know, he would beat me. I mean, that's just what it was. Yeah, yeah. And because he grew up and his parents beat him, that was normalized. And then, you know, right after getting the beating, they would say, you know, I, I do this because I love you. Yeah. You know, and you got to think about it as a kid, you're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck does this mean? Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is like whatever shit they went through. And again, I think um, now we're sort of in this in this age where we can sort of reflect more. We can mm. process. We have a lot more tools. So to me, like me sort of expressing or emoting to my dad, that might be kind of weird. And like, what are you doing? That's, that, that doesn't matter. So, like, I process that pain in a different way, right? So, it's like that, whatever pain he went through, he didn't fully process it. And now he's sort of passing it on uh, to me. You sure. Right? And, it, and it's, it's really, it's it's really it's wild. You know, I talk, I shared that, that the meaning for movement piece, I know what you're talking about. I shared a story about a young kid that I worked with who had substance use issues, mm. you know, and his mother had substance use issues. And his grandmother... When I, because his grandmother would always call me, and I'm like, "What's going on?" She was like, "Hey," and she was like, "Once she told me her story, she was like, listen, man, I was on coke for 20 years.' Wow. And I was in these streets, and then she told me her story. I was like, "Okay, cool." And then that experience for her shifted how she parented because she was unable to. Mm -hmm. Sure. And then when she we got a little deeper, so she witnessed domestic violence. Mm. Oh, wow. Her parents. You know, in her life, her parents. So she saw her mother get beat up. Right. She doesn't know how to sort of take that all in. So what does she do? Um, the next best thing, right? You know, people do drugs because it feels good. Right. So she goes and uses drugs, and then she gets pregnant. There must have been potentially like, um, I forget what they call it. I'm blanking on that uh, term. It's a medical term where uh, kids are typically like born with, uh, like they get sort of some of the toxins. Right. Oh, right. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm blanking on it. It'll come to me later. Uh, watch it. Like almost like an FAS, but alcohol, but with drug in a way. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's similar. Yeah, yeah. So there's sometimes some neurological damage that goes down. Mm -hmm. Um, the kids aren't, you know, fully developed when they're born. So now the daughter having dealing with that, so there must have been, you know, again, I'm not a neuroscientist or, you know, her physician, so I wouldn't be able to process that. But the drugs created a distance. Right. So now you you're unable to parent. There's a lot of resentment. And then that sort of cycle so the mom was not dealing with so my the, my client's mom wasn't dealing with heavy drugs but she was dealing with alcohol right right so now that's her coping mechanism and that's all she has right so that's all she knows 
So it's sort of, it was passed down to her. And then the son, he has nothing else really to do. So he then uses drugs. I mean, weed is now legalized now in New York, so it might be a different story. And that was just sort of the generational trauma that was passed down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It may look different for different people. Sure, of course. And it's also like epigenetics. Like when we go for a run, our genes change a little bit, right? Like there's a different energy, you know? Yeah. So um, it's it's sort of that, and if that makes sense, it's basically like unresolved trauma mm -hmm. that just gets passed on from generation to generation. And and you were even saying in that interview, I remember like the epigenetics was it it literally changes the genes in your in your body, like in in how you yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's so far out, but it makes makes sense even to this day it's like um you know i you know my nerves are a little bad like so you you can't do anything to because i'll get jumpy right Cause, you know because it's like you're thinking did i do something wrong you know as a kid if you if this happens to you and it's interesting because i was talking to a client of mine the other day and it wasn't until like my you know late 20s early 30s where i said hey man like what happened to me as a kid was that was, that's abuse wow Right. Yeah. That realization, I had normalized it so much because like, that's our culture. Yeah. That's Haitian culture. Like that's you know that's what we do. Tough love. Yeah. And I think I think that's a lot. And that's problematic too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you know, speaking from a child from you know having an immigrant parent too, I think that's that's the child of immigrant parent. A lot of them. Um, I think that's a lot of the experience, especially from developing nations. Like Absolutely. My dad's from the Philippines and came from a massive family. And yes. It's a lot of mouths to feed and they ran a small bakery. So it's not like, you know, they came from any affluence. And so managing all of these children, which the end goal was to have them work. It's no time. That was the, that was the vibe, right? Like you had the kids. That's the goal. Yeah, absolutely. Your kids are your social security. Right. Right. They weren't, you know, it's not, this is not an enjoyment thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk about it, you think that's like really, um, it's like structural too, because you think about like uh, with society and like where you fall in your socioeconomic status. Yeah. Like if you are of working class or poor, you have to keep grinding. Yeah. Right. So there's no time for you to just sort of stop and kind of go, all right, how the fuck do I feel? What's going on? Yeah, right. So those parents are, they become reactive. Yeah. They're tired, they're drained, like, they have no time to have a conversation. But, well, how are you feeling, Taylor? What's going on? It's right. just like, nope. It becomes very, like, sort of dictation. Like, just get this done because mm -hmm. I'm too tired to. Sure. So then we talk a little bit about access, right? When you think about that, like, people who have time and money to process. It's true. Right? And then have this, have a di like, have a dialogue, <laughs> you know? Sure. It's the, it's the real luxury to take 45 minutes out of your day just to talk about what happened this week. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Right. You know, I just feel like too, especially in, you know, Canadian and American culture, you almost felt like you're penalized for, you know, it, the whole idea is that, you know, you work hard, you can get ahead and it's, and it's obviously it's, it's false and. I don't know. I don't think this is news to anybody. The old American dream, like, yeah. But it's still ingrained more so in in American culture than Canadian culture. Absolutely. And and like to your point, like, it's funny because a lot of affluent people would be like, "Oh, I just I worked really hard," and and so they kind of demean, you know, the single parent working three jobs just to feed two children type of thing. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, what is hard work to you? Like, where's the value? Yeah. You know, this person doesn't have time to take a breath. Or to even say I love you to your children, and so like you're talking about like intergenerational. 
Yeah. And, uh, and that's maybe how they start viewing work or how they start viewing family relationships. Um, yeah. you know, and I know like, especially for my, my parents as well, like my dad was a blue collar worker. Um, my mom worked for a nonprofit, um, school for inner city kids. And so she was, you know, she has her master's she's equipped to dealing with a lot of trauma with her children. But again, sometimes that doesn't cross over after a long day of dealing with immigrant children who are like completely neglected. Like some of the stories she has told me are like shocking, like horrifying things. And so that's an emotional toll. And yeah, you know, there's little old me and I'm all chubby with braces and have asthma and I'm just running around <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> breathing all heavy and shit. And she's like, Oh man, whatever. <laughs> like, all right, take care of you later. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's tough. And that's pretty sad with Shia, Shia LaBeouf because it's, you know, this is stuff that, you know, I'm not justifying his actions, right? These are just things that he knows and, and that's, how he expresses, right? right? Instead of being able to, I don't know what it is. It could be some other deeper shit going on too. Yeah. But it's like, come on, man. Like, yeah. If you watch honey boy and then you see his, like his pattern of abuse and, uh, mental illness, you know, you don't want to say, Oh, well that's why like, and give him that, you know, and try to play down his actions because at the end of the day, you are fully responsible for what you do. Absolutely, 100%, yeah. And he has the means. Absolutely. For the therapy, for the time and therapy, right. Time and therapy, it's like, does he want it, right? Exactly. But also, I think his, that was another scary thing with him, I mean, the ego. You know, again, I don't know the young man personally, but he's been in the spotlight for a very long time. Right. So that's, that's a different type of development for him to sort of be, I forget, what's, what show? He was on something on Nickelodeon. You know, even even Stevens. Even Stevens is what, that's what he was. But yeah, think about that. I mean, you're the center. I mean, you're already kind of, you know, the center of the attention of the world when you're younger, right? Because everything is me, 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 right? You're trying to survive. You know, you can't fend for yourself. So on top of that, you know, developmentally, it's all about you. And then you get put out into the world. So everyone has access to you. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, I mean, I'm sure his father put a toll on him as well, too. Right. Again, doesn't excuse what he did. It's just kind of... Hey man, you need you need time to to rest. I don't think he had time to to not be on, right? Right. No, I don't think so. I think it, it one of the things that I notice I feel like when we're talking about this is this luxury of process, like processing that term is is that kind of and I don't know anything about therapy because I actually unfortunately I've never gone uh I I need to I you're super you're super grounded uh, well you seem pretty chill when, I, when we work together I don't know man I can read a transcript of texts that he sent uh, not too long ago <laughs> <laughs> my question a little bit I mean there's a difference between grounded and rock bottom but uh you know they're both hard places <laughs> <laughs> classic yeah. classic um but yeah it's like i feel like this idea of of process is that kind of like what therapy is about is that for the layman i guess if you are kind of like you have this intergenerational trauma that you've experienced um the way that you kind of cut that or maybe stop that from going to the next generation is basically like processing what's been happening to you and then you're like you're trying to stop that um that bad behavior from maybe 
going to the next next generation or obviously out to the world absolutely yeah absolutely and i think everyone's a bit different i think it's um so i i tend to my style is very like gumbo style with, with my clients i think it really depends on what their presenting issue is but to your point about the trauma like i want to get a sense of okay what's happening now in your life and then how does that correlate from the stuff that happened in the past you know like why how you know you're are you responding to something in the present or are you responding to something that happened in the past right so now you got to kind of figure you know that out like so in therapy you know we give that that room for you to be like all right what's what's up what are you so i always ask my client like what are you responding to what are you experiencing you know what's that thing that is causing the tears let's work through that and get a sense of of where you're at with it right um so it's really a sense of yeah understanding it understanding how it affects you because everybody's a bit different i tend to not try to spend too much time on the past i i want to get a little bit of the history to see how it affects you now and that's kind of a lot of my work is like what's happening now and how are we moving forward you know toward that because i don't want you to spend too much time unless that's important like if you hadn't fully healed from that then let's spend time unpacking that right it depends on you know where the person's at the level of pain how recent was the trauma you know was this a month ago was this a year ago so that's kind of you know important as well so we got to look at how acute is it right so and Oh, go ahead. Sorry. We're both dealing with stuff. <laughs> this is not. So so because this is a, a podcast about creatives and running. Sure, sure. Is there, do you deal with a lot of creatives? Because in mm-hmm. all of the people that Taylor and I have met, and I think, and you yourself as a creative, mm-hmm. I mean, we work in all of our trauma through the process and it and it is a very especially fashion it's a very fashion is tough we had this chat last night uh taylor and i were texting we were saying like you know like it's a roller coaster and it's it's you know and i said i said hats off to you guys i saw that i saw the september issue i saw that (laughs) yeah those are people those are people who made it (laughs) these are these are people who are who are struggling and so yeah yeah. you know for for a lot of people especially in fashion a lot of creatives too like you know they bake in a lot of their trauma and so you know yeah in the beginning this was therapeutic this was enjoyable this was like a creative outlet um and that's why we we all go into it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then so then it becomes this drag and so when you are tying not only your personal worth into what you put out into the world because at the end of the day any creative who's ever made anything they're lying to you if they said that you know their feelings don't get hurt if someone's like oh it's not for me like even the smallest thing no yeah like i want to just start throwing fists when i'm like man you don't know what the fuck you're talking about like look what you're wearing it's person it's personal yeah it's different yeah everything's very personal so and then and then when you start tying a, a monetary thing like oh i've spent x amount of dollars i need to make up x amount of dollars yeah. just to break even and then fuck man if i can make six bucks today man that's a huge win i could get a coffee and a bacon egg and cheese from a cart on the street <laughs> i mean this is the life so i mean you know for you do you find like i don't know if any of your clients are creatives and i think for a lot of people that are listening most of them are yeah what are some main components of of why we're fucked up (laughs) 
I'm not looking for I'm not looking for for free therapy. I don't want to open up that can of worms, but I'm pretty sure you make a lot of connections, you know, you're connecting dots. <laughs> I think it depends. It depends on the art too, because there is a lot of I mean, we think about man, a guy like uh, one of my favorite comedians, Richard Pryor. Oh. I mean, that guy's life tragic. Yeah. Totally. And look I mean, look what he created right. through the tragedy, right? So that's I mean, that that's a whole nother that's a, like a podcast in itself, just talking about his process in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, oftentimes you know when people have a lot of pain, uh, there's no outlet for it. Yeah. Right. So I think that's where creatives have a bit of um, a bit of leverage. Yeah. Because you have a place to put it. Yes. Right. And I think that's why if someone, you know, critiques whatever fashion you threw out or the play that you wrote, it is going to be personal because you know the pain that you put into it. You know, so that's that's one piece. So is it, there's a space for it to go. And then kind of I think it depends on the person's process. And some artists that I've known just off the cuff, not just with uh, therapy, but some people create some of their best work when they are in their most worst states because of that sort of hyper focus. And then once they create it, then it's done and they almost have nothing else to like, what else is next? Like Jackson Pollock only created his paintings when it's wasted. Yeah. Which I, on a little segue, which is incredible. Uh, scientists have done studies of his paintings and I don't know if you guys know what a fractal pattern is. No. No, I don't, I've never heard that. So a fractal pattern is the best example I can give you is cauliflower. So a tiny little bit of cauliflower looks like a slightly larger, like bit of cauliflower and it still looks like the whole thing of cauliflower. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So like a fractal pattern is no matter the size, whether it's micro or macro, it looks exactly the same. Mm. Ah. Right. It follows the same you know, laws of geometry. And so when you stand in front of a massive, I don't know, the one at the moment, I don't know how big it is. It takes up an entire wall. You know, it's a couple hundred square feet of, mm-hmm. of his paintings, of this paint splatter. And a lot of people, you know, early in his career, they're like, he's just a drunk who splatters paint and like, how the fuck is this art? And then scientists have done cross sections and he actually creates perfect fractal patterns so you can take a a, you know a four inch by four inch square of his of his pattern and then you could blow that up to a two by two foot Mm. square and then you could blow that up by a 10 by 10 or a 100 by 100 and it's exactly the same wow that's kind of cool that's far out and so so they're they're now they're they're saying like what has he untapped through alcoholism Uh uh-huh Right. And he was he was an abuser. Everybody knows these things. Uh, What has he untapped? Like this is he is like dialed into like the secrets of the universe. And um, and I was watching this this document. I can't even remember what it was. And so they're saying how in early video game development, Mm -hmm. they use fractal patterns uh, code to make backgrounds. So like like a mountainscape or trees. And so they're like, how do we create a forest, an Amazon forest? Mm hmm of billions upon billions of trees by creating, do we just create one tree and then duplicate it? And so they entered in fractal patterns to make that, wow, to make that. So they made one tree out of a fractal pattern or so for mountains, they made a pattern for triangles. And so they just clicked this algorithm that duplicated triangles upon triangles upon triangles. And it just created an entire mountain range that it looks completely random and unorganized. But you zoom in and it's the same mountain range. You keep zooming in, it's the same mountain range. And so... Same one, same one. Wow. 
That's cool. Yeah, so they're really, really interesting things. So anyways, dialing things back a little bit, through trauma, this guy unlocked the secrets of the fucking universe. Yeah, unknown, yeah. So I'm not saying you should start recommending getting wasted and start splattering paint, but... No, absolutely, absolutely not. Yeah, we don't... (laughs) But we, you know, in, in terms of other creatives, like, I think you're right. Like, we do use you know our references and and we we all design with what we know like mm-hmm. taylor designs a lot of uh a lot of stuff through his his lens of of texas of small town texas and mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. he and i aren't from very dissimilar places like i'm from the texas of canada ah <laughs> see yeah yeah i i thought coming back i haven't, I haven't lived here in 15 years and uh, i thought coming back i had this like very rose glass view of canada i'm like man i i escaped trumpism wow i drove by this truck so everybody has a truck here and okay. they all work in oil and so people have a ton of money sounds like texas yeah, yeah. but instead of football you guys have hockey yes exactly, exactly. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so yeah and so instead of like seeing like 80 90 $120,000 Mercedes-Benz, you're seeing $150,000 trucks. Wow, okay, the big boys. And so this guy had an Alberta flag, but instead of that that flag with the red cross, he had a Confederate <laughs> flag Wow. there. And I'm like, one, you're not American. You have no ties to the Confederacy. Wow, that's how deep that's it is. That's crazy. Huh. And I was like, at this point, just settle for a swastika. Like, we know what you're going for, dude. Yeah. Like, skip the middleman. Go straight for it. Wow. <laughs> right? Just go for it. And it's like, I just never thought in my life I would see a Confederate flag in... And, like, you... I mean, I didn't... I didn't... I, You know, I'd go to Long Island to go fishing, and you saw these Trump rallies on these yachts. It is heavy. And I'm like, really? Half-hour drive? Oh, it's heavy out there. Yeah, no, it's heavy. It's heavy. Upstate New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People think it's, it's like a southern thing. No, that's heavy. Oh. You could be up oh. in uh, Pennsylvania. It's pretty serious. Uh, I mean, it's kind of wild up here in uh, Indiana. Like, I'm learning. Living in the Midwest is a bit different. Like, just driving through Indiana. That's Penn's country. Oh, 100%. It's red, red, red. This year has obviously been chaotic for COVID, but also the, the, the race issues that have Mm-hmm. cropped up all over and this is obviously like a mm-hmm. have you noticed in this year of mm-hmm. of therapy have i'm sure that's been like yeah a, your clients are probably like that's a pretty big conversation absolutely what what has been your experience with like kind of like people dealing with this type of trauma and obviously i think i mean shit you're in chicago and what last 13 year old kiddo absolutely that was just two days ago I think it also depends too, because you also got to think about like with my group practice, like who is coming into uh, that spot, and oftentimes I'm seeing a lot of mostly white people. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. So I have a few people of color, you know, black people, some black men, some black women, um, that do check in about it. Right. So it's 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 a variation. It's either I'm really talking about it a lot, often, and then oftentimes there are people who it doesn't matter to them. Right, it's crazy. Right, because that's, I mean, that's just their world. And yeah, and then for me, it's interesting because I, I really can't bring it up unless it pops up because that's sort of my stuff that I, so I can't really bring it up unless it's important to them. So I can tell, you know, yeah, who's hip to what and what makes sense. And then, you know, it's not a judgment, it's just a reality, right? That some people aren't connected to it. 
you know, I had a client one time ask me, uh, did I want like the day off? Because of all, I was like, right. no, it's not how it works. Like, it's not about me. <laughs> you yeah. know, if I don't see you, I don't get paid. So that makes it even yeah. worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know, and true. if you want to talk about it, that's fine. But the, the white guilt, it's so heavy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think people haven't really processed it. And it's, it's nothing new. No. Right. Right. I think a lot of people are starting to get a chance to try to reflect now. Right. Which I think is important. You know, this is real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I come from a very conservative family. Yeah. Oh, those Thanksgivings must be very interesting. Look at me, man. <laughs> I, know. I think I might want to come visit. Yeah, I would love that, man. Yeah, just a fly on the wall. That would be very interesting if I come to your Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, man, for sure. And I think my parents think that this... Black Lives Matter movement is something that is like unwarranted and like mm. overblown. And I try to explain to them that yeah. black people have been, and, and all people of color have been experiencing systematic racism mm. and they just don't, they don't think that that's real. And I, mm. they don't think that like people of color don't experience any sort of like mm. stress or anxiety when they're walking down the street because. Yeah. And why, but why, and why did, why do they, believe, why don't they believe that? What's I, right. It's like, I try, I try over and over to like explain to them mm-hmm. that it's not, it's not something that you're able to process because you're mm-hmm. you're a, a, a white person born with privilege, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I can't really get to the point the, to the to the foundation of it. Yeah, I think they have to admit that they're they've contributed to this maybe, and that admission. Yes, yes, that's what it is. Yeah, that I think that's what it is too. And it's interesting because like I didn't really understand privilege or all of that intersectionality that's a new term until 2015 so that's like the first time i heard of that right because we all live in our own vacuums and our own bubbles we have our own experiences the only white people i interacted with were teachers right Mm -hmm. you know um all my friends were black puerto rican dominican from the caribbean so i didn't really have my first white friend until i went to community college Right. So again, it said like, oh, now I'm connecting with you. So it's really about like our experiences. And that's why I really, I tip my hat off. I'm glad I'm grateful that I did theater because it opened my eyes. Because also let's think about it from another perspective. I, I was, I did this show called Laramie Project. And it was through that where I was able to understand what Matthew Shepard, a gay man, went through. Mm-hmm. And that, that was where I clicked. Because I was thinking in my mind, it's like so black and white, like right in America. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, like. I say, where do I, like, I never, I was an 18 year old kid. I never asked myself, where do I stand with this topic? I never asked myself the question because it was always about, it was joking. Like gay, being gay, there was always a joke. Like we joked about it, like (laughs) whatever. So I was super homophobic and didn't know it, right? Because I wasn't speaking up or not saying nothing. And until I saw or read about Matthew Shepard's experience, I'm like, that's a human experience. This man was beaten to death because he's different. Yeah. So have my ancestors been, right? I'm not American. Yeah. I'm Haitian American. So like, we got to go back to Haiti, but anybody who's American, like black American who can trace their roots back down South, same shit happened to your people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so to me, that's when it started becoming a more of like a human experience and understanding privilege and like, Oh, I'm straight and I'm a man. Okay. Yeah. So I do benefit. Um, we're sitting here having a conversation on a Saturday on our laptops or iPads. Like there's privilege yeah. in that. 
Right. Where it's like some folks have to go to work and clock in right now. Totally. Right. So I think it starts there, like where we have to individually check in and say, where's my privilege? How am I benefiting from that? And then what am I doing with the privilege? So it's kind of, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, however you want to, you know, engage it with your parents, but it's really just shank. This is like, what do you have to, you don't worry about these things because you're not that. Right. Yeah. Us as men, like we are not misogyn. I hope, right. You're not misogynistic or things of that nature. And we benefit from that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From that system. We benefit from the patriarch. Like if a guy walks by and whistles at a girl, we don't have to say anything. We could we can choose to ignore it or not. Yeah. Right. right. But that woman has to go through the humiliation or that threat of like, oh, something may happen to me after you know if I don't engage with this man or not. Because that's a real that's a reality. Right. Right. You you know we talk about us as runners. I like to use that as an example. Cause so we're runners. We're, both, we're all three men. We run. We could run at almost any time of day or night. Right. We could wear whatever we want. Wear whatever we want, crop top, split shorts. You know, one time someone whistled at me. I was like, whoa, that felt uncomfortable. But I was like, I was also flattered at the same time. I was like, oh, so that's what, what <laughs> this is what women go through every single right. fucking day yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. So, but that's a reality, right? So we benefit from that. And like, how do we, you know, be comfortable without any guilt or shame to say, yeah, I'm a man. I'm not sort of being bragging about it. And here's how I benefit from being a man yeah you know i'm i'm now a white collar worker right with what i do right that's what it is right master's degree i went from yeah i went from poor working class to now you know uh lower middle or upper middle you know that's just we have to label where we at and i and i want to continue to grow right conscious conscious capitalism so that way when i do have kids they're comfortable Right. Yeah. That's, that's right. you know, so that's, I think that's where it starts, right? With the conversation is talking about, it's difficult. Everyone's going to be different. So if you engage in it from a perspective where we talk about our responsibilities and you reflect, so when you have that dinner or that Thanksgiving with your pops and your moms saying, here, here's me. I'm white. When I walk through these buildings, no one says nothing to me. I mean, January 6th is a classic example. Yeah. Yeah. Of like white privilege in, in pure form. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine me? Ro- can you imagine me rolling up to the Capitol? You know, like I mean, that should be obvious to them. I'd have been dead in two seconds. Oh, I even brought that point up. <laughs> like two seconds. No, no. It's just ama- It almost feels like they think that ra- that racism is a thing of the past. You know that they still here. But my friends. When they walk down the street, they experience racism mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. even though they have a master's degree or even though they are from an upper middle class background, like they still experience it based yeah. on the color of their skin. And I don't know if they they like it's just it's blatant. Mm-hmm. It's it's systematic. Yeah. It's a part of it. And it's hard. It's hard as a as a person who's from that yeah. environment. You know, it's one. It's very embarrassing. Yeah. Because you're trying to progress. Yeah. And that's what. And that's what it is. It's really like it's it's like a feminist theory is like really taking looking at the person and the system. So take remove yourself from it and just look at it from the outside in. Like as this individual, you know, like your dad and mom. What do they do for work? What's their? My dad's an engineer. He's an engineer. Your mom. My mom's just a pro mom. Oh, just at home. Yeah. Just pro, yeah. Yeah, talk about privilege. Absolutely, and not not to take anything away from motherhood. I mean, that's full time job, real real life, right? Oh, I'm, totally. Absolutely, 
but what did that afford your dad, right? Being an engineer at the time that he was, you know, how much money was he making a year? Did you guys go on vacations? For sure. Does he play golf? Does he go to golf clubs? Does he play squat? Like all of those things that like, you got to think about what were you doing? Like, what was your upbringing like? And I think that sort of is going to tap into the level of awareness. But right to your point, I think really looking at the system, saying this is the system, this is who I am. I have, we all have multiple identities, right? And what identity benefits from the system, what identity doesn't. So it's kind of, it's like a, yeah, it's, it's a weird balance but and being comfortable with it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and speaking of systems too, like I lived, uh, I lived six and a half years in Toronto, which is um, arguably the most diverse, culturally recognized city in North America. Nice. That's what they say. And so, you know, the difference between Canada and America is America's a melting pot where you, I, you all come in and you become a homogenous mixture because mm-hmm. I even have an uncle, a Filipino uncle, mm-hmm. that lives in New Jersey. And he'll say that he's American before he's Filipino. And my dad will say, well, I'm, you know, I'm from the Philippines, mm-hmm. but I'm Canadian. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll say that mm-hmm. first because he knows what people are asking. Uh, yeah. And so like in, in downtown Toronto, it's okay to ask like, Hey man, where are you from? Because nobody is really from yeah, there. Yeah, and that's what they yeah. mean. Like, like it's not, what is your race? Where are you from? But everybody is multicultural. Mm-hmm, everybody mm-hmm. is, there's so many biracial, triracial, quadro racial mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. that they just want to know your story. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, Oh, I'm originally from Edmonton. My dad's Filipino. You know, my mom's white from a farming community, like back in the day. You know, this, this, and it's part of the narrative, it's part of the story. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, man. You want to go get some, like, Tibetan food? You're like, yeah? Like, cool, man. There's, like, there's little Tibet, little Mongolia, little Ethiopia. Like, all these things are, like, designated wow. areas, which you would never get anywhere else. Yeah. And then coming, you know, to the United States and having the conversation, like, hey, man, where are you from? That from is, like, where are you from? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so, uh-huh. you know, you're starting to understand, like, you know, my ex was, was Korean and, and I really benefit from my mother's genes yeah. by being significantly more white passing. And that's what I was going to tell you that too, because it's how do you read when you walk into a room? And that's the thing too, is that I culturally and inside truly see myself as Filipino. Like all my cousins here are Filipino. I have, I have white cousins, but they're in Ontario. I, I didn't really grow up with them, but reconnected later in life which they're amazing people too and so it's like you know my dad had to have rice at every meal so that was very Filipino yeah my thing and so you know I lived in this gray area where I wasn't taught Tagalog and I couldn't communicate with my relatives Mm. on that level and so they would speak and I would have no idea and then you know I do benefit again from being white passing if you will but i still i've now like recognized a lot of these microaggressions you know especially now towards asians where it's like i lived when i lived in toronto Mm -hmm. i lived in the shitty basement apartment of one of the most affluent neighborhoods in toronto Mm. when i was registering to vote uh there was no liberal or even further left-leaning candidates in my neighborhood and so when I would meet people uh, and no fault of their own, you know, they would ask, you know, hey man, where are you from? Like, oh, I'm from Edmonton, my dad's Filipino. And mm-hmm. the initial reaction whenever I say Filipino is like, oh man, my nanny was Filipino. Wow. Or my, my, my caretaker's Filipino. Or... Wow, absolutely. Wow. Did you ever get this, Stefan? You don't look Filipino? Yeah. Anybody say that to you? Hey man, you don't look Filipino. Like, I know. What, what does that mean? <laughs> your eyes are a little bit, yeah, your eyes are a little bit, you know. 
I mean, yeah. you look at Drake's kid. So that's so that what I tell people is that I'm as Filipino as Barack Obama is black. Copy. Yeah. No. Barack Obama's mom is white. My mom's white. You know what I mean? So, and that's the other thing too. Like, what what percentage of of blackness is black? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You look at Drake's kid. Drake's kid is blue eyed, blonde hair, mm-hmm. but he's black. Yeah. Right. And so, what constitutes? You know, how are you to say I'm not Filipino? Mm. because i have to wear spf 30 you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. my yeah, brothers yeah. my brothers don't burn i i burn <laughs> i burn i tan pretty decently yeah but yeah. i also burn and so yeah. it's one of those things where it's like a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction where it's like oh yeah like my dad's a doctor you know a lot of the help at the at the hospital is filipino he works with mm-hmm. all the filipino mm-hmm. ladies they're the nicest people and it's like mm-hmm. right but is that how you see me now you see me as as help yes. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those things where there's just like these tiny and I'm again, I benefit greatly from my facial features. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, my pale skin. But and that's where it starts. Right. Yeah. And I I think that's kind of where it starts by just really leading in saying this is where this is how I benefit from it. Yeah. And just being comfortable with it. Like, I mean, obviously, if there's uh, some discomfort and guilt, you know, you got to do some more, some internal work and talk it through and yeah. get some insight. Yeah. This is what it is, man. Yeah. Because you can't, we don't, we don't, we don't pick, you know, our families. We don't pick where we were born. This is just, it just happens. No. And I think the empathy that doesn't exist in that privileged group is the part that I don't quite understand. Yeah, and I think for that, there's no need for it, or there's no need, I don't. I wouldn't even say that, I'd say there's no need for curiosity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, and I think one of the pieces when you're, whatever marginalized identity you're from, so I think, and this is just a little, not really history, but just anecdotally thinking about black people and how we interact with white folk, or whether you're low status or high status and socioeconomically. So, like, black people are always involved in white business, so to speak, right? Whether it's help or, you know, I was, I was a bellman at one point, right? Super stereotypical yeah. job to have. It was a cool job, but what happens is, so I'm of a lower status, working with, like, elite Hollywood people. I'm in their lives. Mm. I'm engaged, so I'm more curious about them. They're not curious about me, right? They don't need to. It's interesting, yeah. So I think I think it's like a lack of, I guess, curiosity for some folks. They don't need to be curious. Yeah. Where some of us in those helping roles, we have to. Yeah. So we tend to understand what's going on in white culture a little bit more than you know white folks care to understand about us. Yeah. And I think that that in itself almost like a privilege, right? I don't need to be curious because I'm up here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You're you're a bellman. What more do I need to know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was always fascinating when some of them would talk to me and, and like, hey, where are you from? What's going on? Like, oh, whoa, you want to know about me? Okay, cool. It's it's like the too. I had this conversation literally just yesterday with this uh, with this Indian girl, and um, you know, we were talking about like the people like, oh, I don't I don't see color. <laughs> and there, I was telling her about this like uh, this hilarious comedic bit where he was going on. He was like in an elevator, and uh, he's like, oh, did you meet the the new guys? And then he's like, oh, what's his name? He's like, oh, it's like the black guy. And the and his coworker's like, no. I don't see color. He's like, yeah, man, don't worry about it. I'm black too. And he's like, no, you're not. He's like, ah, gotcha. You do see color. And so (laughs) we were discussing how it's almost more offensive by saying I don't see color because then absolutely you're not acknowledging your privilege or anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're not acknowledging anything. You're just, yeah, it's the same as all lives matter. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah, how do you not see it? You're changing your your vocabulary, your speaking cadence, your posture yeah. when you're talking to other people. And you know what? We all do it. I'm sure you have, when you're a bellman, you had white people voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, potentially, yeah. And so, like, we all, we all change our cadences. You know, I'm definitely more polite when I'm speaking to more affluent older people and all these things. I speak differently when I'm with a Filipino family. So that's okay. Let's, let, let's recognize the diversity. Let's not, you know, let's not give more, more power to the discrepancies, which have been created. Let's just, like you said, just be curious. A lot of people aren't. That's why we're here. For people to say or assume that it just doesn't exist right now is just so uh, short-sighted people don't realize that it is it's been going on it's continuing to go on and we have to stop that we have to process it we have to stop those habits in our lives that cause us to to react that way or whatever they're doing i just i don't i don't get it yeah it's it's like fear based right yeah yeah it's fear based Mm. right i think um also there's uh, an elder i'm blanking on his name but he talks a little bit about how it may take like nine generations Wow. In order for us to get to that space, because like white folks don't really have the culture to connect to it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Whereas like black folks who are going through, we have that we can connect to it and say, this is the thing that's been happening to us. Right. Right. Some folks who ever have that rhetoric of like, well, I didn't do anything to you. That's my ancestors. Like, well, that's not what we're saying. We're not <laughs> saying you did something to us. We're just saying, what do you benefit from? Right. Right. And stop killing us essentially right let's let's keep it real i think what a lot of people do too is that they're not recognizing that the system as a whole is is racist i mean if if you want to go into policing it is a profession that racists like they do because of certain social structural things it really attracts race i'm not saying all cops are racist no but how it started right even thinking about you know the clan being really in involved in that like as far as like anybody who if you ran away like sort of empowering you know white people post uh civil war to police black bodies right that's like a real thing that has happened yeah so you you have this this profession that was founded in racism and then yeah they're enforcing laws that were created by racists mm-hmm. by politicians that are racist and then it's for the greater good or the government, which was also founded by racists. So mm. for you to think otherwise, and that's a whole, it's a, the whole thing. Like, I'm, you know, I don't know if this is controversial to say, but like any politician that you elect, mm-hmm. they have to work within a very small box to make change. And we're seeing some of that change with Stacey, Stacey Abrams and in Georgia, especially, which is huge. Yeah. But she still has to work within a very racist structure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. These are tiny, tiny steps, tiny steps. Yeah. With these strategic gray areas that were created, right. In order for, you know, people to succeed. Exactly. So even for her, she's going into government mm-hmm. voting on racist laws for the perpetuation of racism. <laughs> and I can't imagine what, what that's like. Ooh, thank you. Bless you. I said, th- I said, I said, thank you. <laughs> 
allergy season. Yeah, it is. It's starting to come kick in. Yeah, man. No, you sneeze. I'm sneezing on the truth. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's it's one of those things. I don't know. We got we got pretty heavy there for a second. So I don't know if we're if we're losing people, but no, it's all right. It's not so good. I think it's just needed. It's I think also it's needed to at least begin the yeah. begin the conversation. Yeah, I think for some people it seems like it's pretty easy for us to talk about these things. For some people it's a lot. Of, it's com- it's uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think we kind of have to work through the discomfort. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that speaks to people's privilege. Yeah. And this is just sort of, you know, my life, my day to day. Like I have to constantly think about it. So I turn off from time to time when I need to. Right. Whereas if you are a white person, you don't really, you know, have to think like how often do you think about race? Never. People don't realize that they don't. Right. How often do you think about that? Right. So. And, and maybe that's the disconnect is mm-hmm. that. And I think you try. I think for me, yeah. a lot of times it's trying to inform them that not everyone experiences life the way you do. There you go. And that, and like you said, that goes beyond race too. Yeah. So if you're a straight male and a gay male or. Right. If yeah. you're transgendered, like shit. I can't even yeah. begin to know what that right? feels like. Absolutely. You know what Absolutely. I mean? How to look I'm... at yourself in the mirror and be like, nah, this isn't me. And so that's wild. It's a wild ride for a lot of people. So And to have to hide, right? I think thinking about that, like, I mean, think about, you know, people who have to wake up in the morning and think about, all right, what part of myself do I need to hide? Whereas like, you know, right. as, you know, straight men, we could just walk out, do what we got to do. We don't need to hide our straightness. Yeah. Right. right? We can, we have... can grow out our hair and have creepy eighties porno mustaches. You can yeah. have your hair high in locks yeah. and like true, true, nobody's yeah. going to bat an eyelash. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't and have so... to go seek legislation in order to get married. Right. 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 This, you know, so I think that's another thing thinking about privilege. There's certain things I don't have to think about yeah. that other people have to think about. You mentioned women not being able to run, you know, like at night. Yeah. Or, yeah, they can. Or, you know, they have to, it's something that they have to consider. And they have to be more hyper vigilant, if so. Right. Even in the daytime, you know, like, come on, let's keep it real. Right. Yes. For instance, someone like a mother, like my mother or whatever, who doesn't think about this it's like you've been inconvenienced by not being able to exercise wherever you want for your entire life wouldn't don't you want to change that don't you want to kind of create a system that Uh is fair across the board for everyone and and is the same and is equal and there's no Uh uh, blurring of the of the lines there like i just don't understand how Uh they can't take a step back see that this is like an oppressive situation for so many people Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a little bit of our downfall too. Like with American culture, we really promote individual individualism, yeah. And it's all about I, 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 not we, you know, type of energy. Yeah. So I think that's. I mean, I'm, I'm not so. I'm assuming. I don't know if that's how your mom is looking at it. Right. She may not be thinking about the collective. It's right. Like what's you know. Right. What's for her? Yeah, that's true. Which is super. Which is super, super divisive. If you ain't first, you're last. Yeah, that's very Ricky Bobby. Yeah, Ricky Bobby. That's Ricky Bobby said it best. Ricky Bobby said it best. I mean, he sums up America. That's America, right? Yeah. That, this and... prayer is brought to you by Mountain Dew. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Christianity, empty calories, and if you ain't first, you're last. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, get it by almost any means necessary, type of thing, right? Yeah, and. Yeah, I mean, too, having this dichotomy of, of Canadian upbringing, and then, uh, you know, obviously it's very capitalistic, but mm-hmm. I do believe, especially with healthcare, I do believe that there's like this sense that 
you know, if we all work together, like it's a, it's more of a team mentality. Obviously mm -hmm. there is cutthroat capitalism, but I just found yeah. like you're ingrained at a very young age in America mm -hmm. where it's like, there are winners and there are losers and you have to win. Mm. And that means somebody has to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that, that middle ground. I think no one, no one wants to have the gray area conversations. It's super yeah. black and white. Yeah. And yeah. that's where, you know, you probably butt heads with your family because it's like, yeah. no one wants to, like, there's a middle ground. There's a, there's a middle area. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of us share the same value. A trans man friend of mine, he said, Mac, listen, you know, we're different people and the feelings that we share with oppression is the same. Right. Right. You understand? So like trans bodies are attacked by cops all the time. It's the same feeling. Yeah. 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 That's true. So like a lot of, a lot of us are sort of, really connected in, in many ways but because of whatever the block may be for her she's not seen like i mean i find in some spaces too it's almost like whose trauma is like more yeah just just my trauma come first right that's whack you know exactly and it's like yeah that's whack that's and i do you do see that in a in a lot of different spaces and i'm like at, at the end of the day too it's like trauma is is trauma it, it's shared and it's absolutely and how do you measure that exactly and it's the same force it's the same it's the same force of gravity that's keeping marginalized groups down. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So it's like we all have to flap our wings to try to elevate beyond that. And mm -hmm. if one wing is flapping harder than the other or the other one you know what I'm saying? It's like you're just going around in circle. Yeah, it's a good analogy. I got my notes, no. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so maybe I mean, do you guys do you guys want to switch gears a, a little bit? Should we should we talk about any upcoming runs perhaps, Mac, that you're that you're doing? You're are you training for anything? Not training for life, man, just running, running for fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool cuz I think once I if I get into that mentality of starting to uh, to a race or try to get to a certain pace, like then it becomes it's not as fun. Absolutely, <laughs> it's more of a release for me now. You know, to kind of just yeah go out there, just yeah, just run for fun. So no races, trying to get grounded here in Chicago and figure things out. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I started running without my phone or the app. Mm -hmm. You know, just because comparing my last year run times to this year, having a very sedentary yeah winter, long winter. I I joke that. You know, my I got the face for radio and the body for ice fishing. <laughs> and so, you know, it's that I'm trying to work off the ice fishing I see. body because I need you need that insulation for sitting there in minus 20. And yeah, it gets cold up there for six hours. Yeah, it gets cold. Uh, so again, so I, I started like beating myself up over it. You know, I'm being like, man, I used to do five k's in 20 minutes and my split times are this this and this and i'm you know i'm usually mm -hmm. in the mid sevens and now i'm like the high eights almost nine mm -hmm. uh minute per mile and i just yeah. at the end of the day i was like getting home gassed looking and so i would run i'm like man i think i'm feeling good i think i'm going fast and i look at my time and it totally fucks me up yeah i just get so in my head and so running without the phone without strava you know like doesn't count uh <laughs> right but it's mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's it's just it's become more pleasurable and i'm trying to yeah. find now trying to map out more routes uh now that all the snow's melted good and so trying to figure that out and there's a lot of trail runs which obviously you can't run fast yeah take your time yeah but yeah take your time and it's uh it's been great yeah yeah and just have fun with it too because i think that was one thing that when i was working in run specialty that was 
it kind of felt a little elitist at times too. It was like, yeah, you know, if you weren't talking about your pace or your speed, like you weren't a runner. I was like, nah, everyone runs. Like let's let's open it up because some people aren't trying to train for like Olympic trials. Not everyone wants to make it. Yeah, yeah. Some people. I mean, we all have different. We all have different stories and reasons why we run. So definitely, like, open it up. Just let's have fun, man. Taylor and I do talk about quite often how pretentious it can be, mm-hmm. how the running – I mean, and that's that's any competitive uh, field, right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we like is that we're, we're talking to regular people who are doing it. And, you know, some people are competing at different levels and, and what they get out of competition and mm-hmm. – is different for absolutely everybody but um i think what we like about this is that we're trying to attach these human components and lifestyle components and balance mm-hmm. rather than talking to that one dude who's like 98 pounds well i guess taylor but like <laughs> <laughs> he, was like, he like wakes up at 4 30 in the morning to like run and like you know what i mean pissing blood at the end of the day <laughs> oftentimes in the running culture it's easy to forget like just how important it is to just do it mm-hmm. and and enjoy it yeah as opposed to like how fast you do it and i think strom has probably increased that desire to like show show off how fast you're running or whatever and and mm-hmm. and to have like that self-awareness mm-hmm. that i don't give a shit how fast my time is yeah i'm just experience this is for me not for you like it's not yeah i think people need to kind of yeah do that more and i feel like you do a wonderful job of that like appreciate it yeah today it's funny i went for my second group run mm. uh down in the south side today and i left my phone at home <laughs> and that was cool it was like you know what i was just chopping it up just talking to some runners I don't think I looked at my watch one time. Yeah. And that's cool, man. So it's like a different That's great. A different energy. Yeah. Are you finding that the Chicago scene, running scene and uh, or just maybe even the city at large is just is better or worse or obviously maybe a little different, but what are those differences? I don't know. I'm still I'm still getting a, a sense of what it is. I, I would say that I think right off the bat like it's super segregated so it's not as oh interesting you know i think i think in new york is a bit mixy like you you have all of these yeah. different cultures you got the boricua on one block yeah. a rap guy yeah. all like we all just on one blocker so i'm noticing that there's different communities like on the current block i live now you know my partner and i are the only from what i've seen only black people on this block so it's Whoa. very very segregated wow. And I, I'm still getting a sense of what the community is running wise. I typically run solo. Right. Like that's sort of my energy. I don't really like group runs and I don't like getting involved with all the cl- clickiness. Same, same. And, you know, coming into a new spot, like that's super important. Like I don't know anybody up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now it's more intentional, like to get out of my comfort zone, get up in the morning and run with a group of people. And it was beautiful. It's like, I met somebody today that lives in my neighborhood. You know, her husband is a doctor, you know, and it's like super, like we just connected. It was just good conversation. So sometimes, you know, that's what we just need. Like sometimes the run is about fitness or whatever and health, but just, again, that community, like having a new conversation and you said, I'm not staring at a screen or I'm Zoom fatigued or whatever. Yeah. But so for the most part, I'm just starting to get comfortable with it i don't have a, a i know the three run two is like a major running crew here yeah um and then i'm down i went down to i think it's called bronzeville is the name of the area and there's a it's called last stop running store and it's like a like black owned sort of spot 
uh, small little running, like boutique running shop. And he just hosts his runs there, you know, every Saturday, you know, morning. That's great. So that was cool. Like, and it gives me, it gives me a chance to get outside of, you know, the town that I'm in right now and get to learn Chicago. Sure. So every run that I do here is, is going to be very new. Yeah, it's a new one. Kind of cool. That's awesome. I'm sure you covered every street here in New York. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. And even New York was, like, super new. Like, I was, you know, finding other spots. Because when I travel, that's what I do. I would, like, run and try to, like, that's, like, the, the best way to learn a city for me, personally speaking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Like, going for runs when you're on vacation. <laughs> yeah, well, you just got back from Arizona, man, and it looked amazing. Beautiful, man. I have to go back. Super beautiful down there. Yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Were you just in, were you in Phoenix and kind of like uh, the Grand Canyon area? Or? Yeah, we did Scottsdale for a day and then Grand Canyon for two and then Sedona for a day. Dude. So that was fun. Yeah. Man, Grand Canyon is not even... There's no words really for it. Yeah, you just have to, you just have, you have to be there to sort of experience it. Yeah. And it's it's endless. Yeah, yeah. It's endless. Like every time you're like, oh wow, that wow, it's so definitely gonna have to go back and explore a little bit more. I'm dying to go. I there, I just have this weird fascination with deserts and Oh, you're gonna love it then <laughs> if you go down there. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I love Palm Springs, I love Joshua Tree and even uh, the south of uh, Alberta is like this uh uh microclimate which um is very much like you know the deserts of Utah, mm. where we have uh, these hoodoo rock formations, and oh, that's interesting. I didn't even know that deserts went that far north. Neither did I. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like we have rattlesnakes and and scorpions, and it's like this. And there's pronghorn antelope. Wow. I don't know if you've seen seen those fuckers. They're wild. Never seen. I ran into an elk though while I was there. Whoa. That's kind of really. Cool. Yeah. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. They're so fucking big. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they're huge. And they're just, they were just carefree. They yeah. were just roaming around. Oh, yeah. They had, you know, they gave zero fucks about us. They were, like, crossing the street. <laughs> they were so cool. Of course. They were, like, because normally, like, deer are, like, very skittish. And, like, they elk were just like, nope, we're here. You're in our territory now. Like, so they'd stop. They'd cross the street. <laughs> let the car. Yeah. yeah. It was so cool. Yeah, it's like when you, I mean, when you see moose here, it, it's just flabbergasting that, like, a land animal, technically a deer, can be that large the size of a pickup truck oh they get that big i did not know they got that big wow dude like a, a bull moose like a bull moose that it's full full tilt with antlers you know you could lie from antler to antler no problem that's and yeah they're they're the size of a pickup truck they're you know like 12 to 1500 pounds if you get a good one and damn again like it's true they just they just walk around. Yeah, this is this is their town, man. They're, they're looking at us like we're we're the foreigners. They're like exactly like try me. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> you in these you in these metal boxes? What's going on, man? We are, <laughs> yeah, we're out here. When I when I was in the Philippines, mm -hmm. they have these uh, what they call carabao, which are like basically water buffalo. Oh yeah 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 okay. I was on one of these like greyhound buses to get to the northern parts of Luzon. And right beside in this village, there's basically one road that goes to like the Philip, like in the north of Philippines and the North Island. And it goes through like little, every little town. It feeds everything. So it's, it's crazy. And so I saw these guys and their head level was the same as the bus, like bus head level. And they're on these water buffaloes. And the dude was sitting cross-legged and he had a good foot and a half on either side of just shoulder 
of just animal. Wow. And the size of these things. Man. They're crazy. They're huge. Like, What's their diet like? What are they eating? Grass? Just grass. People. <laughs> I guess. I don't know if they eat people, man. I'm about to become a vegetarian again. <laughs> but that's fascinating that they could get that huge. The girth of these fucking things. And they're like semi-aquatic. They're really wild. And they, they have these horns. They're basically like, like like longhorn, Texas longhorn. Yeah. But they they come out like easily six feet. Are they pretty aggressive? Are they aggressive? They're like cattle. Low key. They're just like calm animals. You'll see them just like walking around. Oh, okay. Um, some of these smaller vi- villages. And I, you know, I got fairly close to one of them. Obviously kept my distance because. Who knows? Yeah. You never, you don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Stephen <laughs> got eaten by a caravan. Yeah. It's unfathomable how large these things are. Well, Mac, what gear you been running in? Oh yeah. Oh the gear? Oh man, I've been I've been doing a lot of different types of gear. I love running in half tights. Uh lately I've been doing damn, what's the name of this brand? Ten thousands. Okay. The shorts. Yeah. Have been really cool. Okay. Um I love some stand socks are really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I still I mean, there's been a couple warm days up here where I'm wearing some tees or some singlets, but mainly like a, a long sleeve or half zip. I love that you call them singlets, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Is uh are you are you, what running shoes have you been you been using lately? I'm doing the on I think it's the on Strauss. I can't remember that. It's a cloud. So I'm doing the on, and I, I I just switched. I'm just it's a little bit of an experiment. They're a little bit firm for me. I'm I'm more of a Hoka Clifton guy, man. Yeah. And then um I'll do like the Pegasus Shield. Yeah. You know for those colder days or rainy days. So I'm just kind of experimenting. So you're a you're a neutral neutral. You're a neutral runner, right? Yeah, neutral runner, slight pronation, but mainly yeah, all neutral shoes. Man, I remember you rocking those pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the Hogas, man. Because I was a big Brooks guy back in the day. I was a Brooks Ghost guy, faithful. Yeah. Then I went to the Pegs, faithful. And then once I put on the Cliftons, that was it, man. They're super soft. What, are, Stefan, are you still running in the Alphas? Alpha Flies? Or what are you What are you training in? No, it was um, Zoom Flies. Yeah. Zoom Flies. Oh, yeah. I like the Zoom Fly. Yeah, the Zoom Fly was nice. I like that. Yeah. And then in the winter, I was running in these, uh, I forget what they're called, these Gore-Tex Solomons because they had significant tread. Because anything smooth bottom for speed, you know, there's like packed snow trails that mm. I would run on. And some people don't shovel their sidewalks. and You got to yeah, watch out for that. Eat shit. Yeah, exactly. So I would have just eaten shit <laughs> half the time. So, I mean, those Solomons were, were the best, and I find them pretty well balanced. And they give me a lot of good good tread on. And I, and I wear them, too, when the, when it's wet. Yeah. Good, good, good. Nice. Yeah, so it provides a lot more. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to test out the hokas yeah good yeah good cushion man i mean i love them too personally for me i like i'm on my feet for the most part now mm-hmm. just picked up a, a new kind of gig and and the first first five days every tiny little runner's injury and it's not even injuries but it's the nagging things where it's like you haven't ran in like a couple weeks or a week those things are just come back yeah back and like you work through them but Man, shin splints, like knees, hips. I'm just so well aware of every tendon in my body. Yeah. Then at home, I'm rocking the uh, I'm rocking the UFO slippers, man. Those things are... Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. I haven't tried those yet. Fucking pillows. They are? Those are pillows, man. If you, like... I don't know if you guys are still doing long runs or whatever, but, like, post-long run, you put them bad boys on, listen, you go to, you're going to sleep. <laughs> 
It'll, 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 like, it'll put you to sleep. Really? I got to try them out. Definitely. That's great. Oh, I got to get you some attempt gear. Oh, yeah. Let me know. Send me some stuff. Let me know. I'll send it to you. Yeah, you'll have to text me your address. I'll get you some get you some stuff to try out. Perfect. We'll take pictures and then post it on, on Instagram to show everybody how handsome you are if they don't believe us. <laughs> Hell yeah. Are you guys looking? I mean, you guys just started, but are you thinking about doing like collabs? We would love to, yeah. I think... I think especially for like footwear because that's just a, I, I don't know when or if we would ever branch into that world. Probably not because I mean it's it's tough. It's just completely different than than apparel, you know. That's a different beast. So we would we would be super open to that. I think especially New Balance is one of those that I love because they have this an American made version and we make everything mm. in america so mm. i mean that would be awesome and our, growing up i ran in new balance yeah it would just be kind of a, a awesome full circle that'd be cool but i mean it's hard to i don't know it's hard to get into nike seeing as they don't they haven't paid a cent in income tax <laughs> that's also true federal income tax in three years i don't know if you saw that i didn't see that but i mean to be fair that's probably every american billionaire. every yeah new balance probably didn't pay it i don't Company. know yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't shocked <laughs> yeah no it it's just hard there and then also like labor laws and stuff i don't know yeah it, we true. That's a pretty important part for me is like, yeah. and I think for us, you know, we, we charge more money for our stuff, but it's, it's because it's all made. We know the people who make it. And mm-hmm. what a lot of people don't realize is just how expensive clothes should be mm-hmm. and then how much clothes are, you know, like it's mm-hmm. yeah. like when you, when you see a price tag of like 10 bucks for this shirt, like somebody's getting fucked. Mm-hmm through that process it nothing's free you know it's like mm. we actually are going to start a buy a, a, a buyback program for our stuff oh awesome so if you if you wear our gear we're going to give it like I, we're trying to figure out how to do this but basically like in a year if you're done with that garment instead of like throwing it in a landfill or whatever send it back to us we'll give you a credit for our online shop mm. and you can use that money it's not going to be a hundred and twenty-five dollars. Exactly. Yeah. But hey, if it's like ten bucks, yeah, 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 and like we can repurpose that material. It's not bad. Super eco-friendly. Sounds like exactly. Turn the used shorts into masks. Yeah. Someone's ass, like right in your face. Get that aroma. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a head, a head wrap. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make your, make your eyes eyes water a little bit. Put it through the laundry at least three cycles. Three <laughs> yeah. cycles of yeah. wash. <laughs> on hot bleach them that may not be good for the environment but we we've we've got to figure something out i think as a as a society as a mm-hmm. to to kind of stop this cycle people people use their workout clothes and wash them so much more often they get beat up so much faster mm. how can we kind of help yeah keep that from from wearing down our environment you know you talk about the grand canyon i mean yeah we we need to preserve everything that we've got as far as nature is concerned. And yeah, yeah, that's true. And if you want to, this is just because I just saw this documentary yesterday, the Sea Sea Spiracy. Mm, yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I've heard it's good. Which I don't know if you if you get a chance, I mean that kind of shows all the connectivity with that. Yeah, yeah. And then if we can collaborate with like a another running brand that makes a lot of sense, like 
has the same ethos and like uh-huh. goals, you know. Yeah. We'll probably we'll we'll definitely link up and do something. That'd be sick. Nice. Yeah. Maybe get that shop in uh, Chicago to carry some of Tim. Hell yeah. Yeah. Last stop. Yeah. Last stop. Yeah. The last stop or the last. Yeah. I'll check it out for sure. Support support the small running shops. Support all the small brands. Absolutely, and it's black. It's black owned and all that. So that's good too. It's awesome. That is good. Yeah. You don't need to go to REI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't need your money. No need for that. No. No. All right, Mac. Mac, I think that's like this will do it. I think, man. I'm. I, all right. Thanks for your time. Like we know you're a busy man. Hey, man. No, yeah, Saturday's my day off. I'm all good. Thank you, man. This this was cool. Good convo. Good to connect and just, yeah. And we're expecting an invoice for all that therapy uh, you gave us. (laughs) (laughs) I'll send it to you. No worries. Trying to ease us a little bit. I'll take take shorts or a tank. Yeah, that's (laughs) perfect. I got you. I'll send it to you. Uh, Yeah, no, text me your address, dude. Seriously. Copy, copy. Yeah, man. Well, appreciate you guys. Yeah. Any parting words? Keep running with love. You know, run with curiosity. You know, stay open. You know, that's kind of, you know, where I'm at, you know, for, and I put that for everyone, like to sort of stay in, in the now. I think we get caught up with what may happen, what should have, could have happened, but like really stay curious. Yeah, that's what I have. And if uh, if any of our listeners are looking for a therapist or, or mm-hmm. a group to, to talk in sure. safe spaces, I mean, you know, perhaps they could reach out to Taylor or myself and we connect them to you if you're yeah, open to yeah. that, if you're, if you're looking for new people to help. Yeah. So, yeah, I work at a, a group practice it's called Citron Hennessy. Okay. Um, so that's where, you know, you could find me on that on that part. And I'm not doing – I'm doing only individual, but group is something I'm thinking about. I don't know how it works in the Zoom space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's pretty much similar. But, uh, yeah, so that's how, that's how you sort of find me there. And your Instagram and Twitter handles and all that stuff? like Yeah, I'm only on Instagram. That's, like, my only social media outlet that I enjoy. Uh, it's just Mac Exilus. M-A-C-K-E-X-I-L-U-S. That's it. Amazing. Well, Mac, dude, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you, man. All the love to you, man. All right, man. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Peace, man. All right, bye. See you guys later. Take care.